We're in this series in Romans we're calling Back to Basics, and we're looking at Romans 1 through 8 uh, as Paul lays out the gospel, and he takes us to the basics, the fundamentals of the gospel. And, and part of the reason why he does that is it's so easy to allow culture and ourselves to invade our theology, our understanding of God, our understanding of salvation. And so it is so important that we as believers, it doesn't matter if you're a new believer, if, if you're seeking out the things of Christ especially, but, but maybe you've been a believer for many, many years. It is so important that we get back to the basics of Scripture, the fundamentals, so we don't stray away from biblical Christianity. And that's what Paul wants us to understand is biblical Christianity. What's it mean to be a follower of Christ? And so we've looked through the first four chapters of Romans already. And in those four chapters, what Paul has done is he's laid out what it means to come to faith in Jesus Christ. When we look at salvation, we really look at it in three facets in Scripture. It's taught to us that way, that we have justification, being made right with God. That's when we come and, and receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. The second facet is sanctification, and that's a theological term which speaks of the work of the Spirit of God making us more and more and more like Jesus. And Paul's going to talk about sanctification from chapter 5 through chapter 8. And in the second part of chapter 8, he actually leads us into the last facet of our relationship with God, and that's glorification. That's when Jesus returns and the work is finished. And, and so what Paul does in chapter 5, it's like a hinge chapter. Now, I've been pointing out hinge verses where I've said these verses are where a lot of theology hinges off of. Hinges off of. Chapter 5 is a hinge chapter in this sense, but he, but he pulls in a lot what he has taught us in, in chapters 1 through 4 about justification, but he also wants to bring in the foundation for his teaching on sanctification. And we're going to discover that that is peace. But he takes us to this place where we need to understand what it means to, to be right with God. There's another word other than justification we use, acquittal. Acquittal really means to be a declaration that someone is, is right. Someone has been acquitted. And in Jesus, when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, justification, we've been acquitted. We've been made right with God. We understand the bad news, which is really, really bad, which is all of us, we're sinners. And the wage of sin is death. That's bad, bad news. And Paul spent a lot of time showing us the bad, bad news so we'd understand how good the really good news is, is that Jesus died for our sins and was resurrected for our salvation so we can have life. And so Paul's going to take us on this journey now from chapter 5 through 8. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Now, I quote a lot from Francis Schaeffer when I, when I look at Romans, and for one reason is he's brilliant. He understands Romans 1 through 8 as well as anybody I've read after outside of Scripture, of course. And listen to what Francis Schaeffer says about the first four chapters as we head into chapter 5. This is what he writes. He says, if we had had only the first four chapters of Romans, we would have had enough information to be saved. All the big intellectual questions of life are answered in these four chapters. Whether you're a simple person or a complex person of the first century Greek world or a citizen of this century, there's more than enough in these four chapters to bring you from death to life. So from now on, Paul will talk as though we are now accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. In other words, when he's writing chapters 1 through 4, he's writing about us entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, as he's writing chapters 5 through 8, 
he's writing as if everyone is a believer. So if you're still seeking out the things of Christ, keep that in mind. He's writing to, to those who are believers, and he's saying, here is your journey. In other words, he's saying, you've received Christ, now what? I think that's a good question. I think it's a question too many believers don't ask. I've received Christ, and, and in many uh, uh, believers' mind, unfortunately, they come to Christ, you understand they're right with God, and they jump all the way over to glorification. They can't wait for heaven. But if you're still taking breath, God wants to do something in your life today. Like, like he wants to make you more like Jesus. He wants to make you a change agent. But he leaves us here on earth so that we can bring his peace into the world around us. How many of you have realized if, if ever there's a time our world needs peace, it's now? Come on. Uh, someone last service said, it felt like there was a heaviness in service. And I chuckled. I didn't mean to, but I thought, that's weird. We have an election coming up in two weeks, a pandemic, and not really knowing if we can get together for Thanksgiving. What would people be stressed over? Right? Well, let me let you know a little secret. Hopefully it's not much of a secret. It's, it's actually a part of history. God has preserved his church through much more difficult times than even these. He's faithful. He's faithful. But you know what he calls the church to do is not retreat, but love. Stand up for truth and love. And so this foundation we're going to find that, that he has for us is quite remarkable. As we talk about becoming like Jesus, this foundation is, it is quite remarkable. Let's dig in. Romans 5, 1 through 5. It reads this way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what's Paul writing here? Again, it's a hinged chapter. And so he says, those who have been acquitted, those who have been justified, those who are saved, allows us a certain hope since we have peace with God. But there's a hope that we can have as believers since we have peace with God. And I like the way it's actually written in the original language in which Paul wrote the book of Romans. It, it doesn't just say that we have peace with God, but it's written this way. Since we have peace, live as if we have peace. See the difference? Peace isn't just, in other words, an intellectual understanding. It, it's not something that we just sort of read and we go, okay, I have peace with God. It is that, but it's so much more. That when we say we have peace with God, it means that the Spirit of God is really doing a work in us so we can embrace his peace and be able to radiate it to those around us. We have this peace, so accept and live in this peace. It's amazing. And what's this peace do for us? Well, first of all, we are to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, why would Paul write about that? Well, in part because in the first century, the Hebrew rabbis, the rabbis taught, that man lost his glory when Adam fell. Now, when we speak of glory, we're talking about the essence of a person, their, their very presence and essence. When we talk about the glory of God filling a place, we mean that his, his essence has filled the place. His, his presence is being felt in a remarkable way. And, and so when they talked about the fact that they taught, actually, the fact that they saw that when Adam sinned and sin entered the world, that that he lost the, his glory, his essence. 
and that humanity ever since was started searching for his glory. And so Paul says, well, wait a minute. We have peace with God, therefore the very glory of God has filled us. Like we're, we're, we're embraced by his glory. But he's also speaking in future tense. Remember the three facets of salvation. He says, look, if you've been justified and you're being sanctified, you have hope that the work will be done one day and you will be glorified. Now, I don't know about you, I, I am wired for achievement. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean I achieve. It just means I'm wired for it. Like, I desire it, but it's, also, it's often elusive. Anyone have that type of thing happening? But, but, but I'm wired for it. I love this hope that I have in Christ that the work that he began when I said yes to Jesus that he's com- continuing in my life right now will be completed when Jesus returns. Like, work done, finished, complete. And he says, we have that hope. In fact, uh, he also says we, we can rejoice in our sufferings because of that reality. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the world is a really screwed up place. Did anyone notice that? Yeah, okay, so I'm not alone. I thought I was the only one. Okay. Here's the problem. We say yes to Jesus, and many times when we said yes to Jesus, we thought we were going to jump over to glorification. Everything was going to be easy. Here's the reality, and I know you've already realized that this is not profound. Life is difficult. Yeah, I'm here to encourage you this morning. Life is difficult. There's difficult choices. There's difficult paths. When you said yes to Jesus, you chose a path that very few will choose, Jesus said. It's a difficult path. It's narrow, the road to go, right? Did you realize that when you said yes to Jesus? Sanctification is messy. Have you realized that? Paul will write about it in chapter 7. He'll say, the things that I wanted to do, I don't do. And the things that I really don't want to do, I find myself doing. Who's going to separate me from this body of death? Anyone ever felt like that? The problem is, is because when we came to Jesus, for some reason, we, well, maybe we just didn't learn yet. But sanctification is a process leading us to the point to where the work is finished. But there's a lot of time between now and then. As long as we're taking breath, he's working in us. And so we rejoice in our suffering. Why? Two reasons. Number one, because suffering produces character and character produces hope. It's not because we're sort of sick and crazy and mad and, and, and we just enjoy suffering. You know, a day's going well and you go, you know what, I just need a little more suffering today. No, no. But we do realize that suffering produces character, character produces hope. That's good news. It's not wasted. No matter what suffering we go through, we put it in the hands of God. He can use it for our benefit and the benefit of others and for the glory of his kingdom. Think about that. Second thing is, my favorite chapter, and if you've been around me for a while, you know this is Romans chapter 8. One of my favorite verses speaks this way. It says, For I consider that my present sufferings are not to be worthy of being compared to the future glory that's going to be revealed to us in Christ Jesus. So you came to Jesus and you're justified, you know someday you're going to be glorified. In the midst of sanctification where suffering and these things happen, and you go, that's going to be so, so Like today won't last forever. Won't last forever. Church, we won't have to wear a mask forever. It may feel like it, but we won't. I can't wait to get to heaven, you know? I think two things about heaven that, no mask, and all the food I want without gaining a pound. 
Oh, and by the way, in Jesus. I mean, this is, is going to be all, like just a trifecta. But that's what Paul's really, he's looking at and he's saying, listen, God, when you came to Jesus, you're still in the world. It's still tough. God's going to grow you into being more and more like Jesus. But he says, listen, Paul clearly links God's love in our hearts to this working of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is? Real simple, to make us holy. To make us like Christ, to assure us of our relationship with God. And Paul says, so listen, you're going to be on this journey now. Chapter 5, I'm going to teach you. What does it mean? You said yes to Jesus, now what? But you've got to understand, it's really centered on the peace and love of God. And listen to what he writes then in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Stop reading. Stop reading. Look at me for a minute. Camp there. So easy to read past that. By the way, if that verse doesn't light your fire, my pastor in high school would say, if he didn't light your fire, your wood's wet. Let that sink in for a minute. Camp there. Don't read past this. This verse is so, so amazing. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But if God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled. Shall we be saved by this life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What's Paul writing there? He's saying, listen, we've been acquitted. We've been justified. We're saved. And this allows us to experience the result of God's love that has brought us peace, that has brought us peace with God. We've got to wrap our mind around this, that while we were still sinners, while we were weak, now, what's that mean? Well, we've gone through the bad, bad news, haven't we? Romans 1 through 4, chapters 1 through 4, the bad, bad news. We are all sinners. And, and, the, and the wage of sin is, again, death. That's bad. How many would say bad news? Bad, bad news. And you know what? You were weak to do anything about it. So was I. We don't have any power to do anything about that. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says, while we were still sinners, while we were still thumbing our nose at God, what did he do? Send Jesus to die for us. Grasp this if you grasp nothing else this morning. God loved you completely when you weren't following him. Like, like, like when you were turning your back on him. In your weakness, God loved you totally. And Paul says, how much more than, not how much more does he love you, because he can't love you more than completely. We're on the same page? He loves us completely here. But how much more then should we grow in understanding his love? Grow in embracing his love. Grow in, in being able to not just know we have peace with God, but, but letting that peace grow in us and, and allowing us to, to walk in peace in the midst of chaos, to learn those things, to learn those things. See, it's God's love that brings us a sustaining hope, the strength. This power that comes from him, not my power, his power. There's power in Jesus. For instance, let's look at sin. I want to encourage you this morning. Let's look at sin. Let's look at, look at the ways Christians can deal with sin. 
Because I don't know if you've discovered this, but we were sinners before we came to Christ. And when we come to Christ, the scripture changes our, our, our title. We're saints. But we're saints who still struggle with temptation and sometimes sin. Is anyone else? Don't say that. Has a person next to you probably dealt with that? Yeah, yeah. But there's three ways that we can deal with this. The first one is we can harden our heart to sin. Ever been there? You're a believer, you sin, and you're like, that wasn't that big a deal. Or I just did it once, twice, three. You just harden your heart to it. It's no big deal. I'm in Christ now. What's the big deal? That's a bad place to be. Equally as bad is to be in anguish. To sit there and go, man, I thought God loved me. He can't love me now. I did this. Like, I think he loved me more when I was a sinner. Now that I'm a saint and did this, I should know better. That's Paul in Romans 7. Well, what's going on? Who's going to separate me from this body of death? Ever been there? The healthy way to deal with this, the biblical way to deal with this, is to become increasingly sensitive to our sin and increasingly come to know the forgiveness and love and power that's found in the blood of Christ. 1 John 1, 9, if I, if I sin, I, I confess my sins. He's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Like he's done all the heavy lifting. Is sin still a big deal in the life of a believer? Come on, lunch is right around the corner, church. Help me out here. Is sin still a big deal in the life of a believer? Absolutely. The difference is there's no hope here when you don't have an accepted Christ. When his blood hasn't covered your sin, when his death hasn't paid the price for your sin. All the hope in the world. God, you love me. Like you still love me. Like I didn't know better then. Now I know better. I'm still you love me. Paul says this is this is powerful. See, here's the reality. Can I go back to Schaefer? By the way, I do think the Bible is better than Schaefer's writings. I really do, but but Schaefer just gets it. He, he says, he writes this. He says, the gospel isn't for ideal people. Do you know what he means by ideal? Perfect. He says, the Bible isn't for ideal people. Ideal people do not exist. The gospel is for people like us. You know the trapping we have as believers as we come in this morning? And for instance, maybe we're dealing with a temptation or a sin in our life. And we look around the room and we go, I wish I could be like all the other perfect, all the other perfect people. You feel alone. Too many places of, of, of worship are places where people can't be real. They can't share each other's burdens. Now listen, when you share your burden with somebody, they also should speak the truth and love for you, right? Like the worst thing you could do is if someone came up to you who's a brother or a sister in Christ and said, I'm real struggling with this sin, if you go, oh, it's no big deal. That's human nature, right? It's, it is a big deal, but you know what trumps the big deal that sin is? The work of Jesus Christ. And for us to be real with each other and understand the gospel isn't for ideal people. There's no ideal people. There's just people like us becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And it's a great journey. And it's a journey where we can, we can learn of God's love more and more and more. That's why he says, how much more should we know the love? How much more should we embrace the peace of God in our life? Then we read this, Romans 5, 17, 12 through 17. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, 
but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like to trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The given, that's a mouthful. But what Paul is saying is, if you're acquitted, if you're justified, if you're saved, that this allows those trapped in sin to receive the gift of life that comes as we have peace with God. Again, remember, it's a hinge chapter. So he's going back here a bit, and he's saying, listen, Death came to all people because of sin. And that death was a physical death, it's a spiritual death, it's eternal death. Bad, bad news. And and all have sinned. All have sinned. And he wants us to make sure we understand all have sinned. He's saying that when when Adam sinned, he sinned against the law. Now, when Adam sinned, there was one law, don't eat of the tree. He couldn't keep the one law. And before we judge him, none of us would have been able to either. Okay? Okay? He broke like this, the only law he had, really. Don't eat of this tree, and he broke it. He said, then when Moses wrote the law, has it written out? By the way, there's many, many more laws than the one, right? He said, then there are tons of people knowing they're breaking the law. He said, but then there's people who live between Adam and Moses, and you say, well, there's no written law, but yeah, they did. They, they, they violated their conscience. And, and so all sinned, he said, all, all are guilty. He says, and because of that, this this." Those who are in Adam, which is all of us, were born in the sin, born inclined to sin, born into this guilt of sin. He says, but listen, all people can be saved through the, other words, Paul writes, new Adam, Jesus Christ. That his act on the cross changes everything. But we've got to be careful because this isn't universalism. All of us, like it or not, are born into Adam. We got to choose to be born into Jesus. Like nowhere in Scripture is choice taken out of that equation. So we naturally enter into the bad news. We, by faith, enter into the good news. Follow me? So, so he's writing of this good news, and he says there's two historical acts. The historical act of Adam in the garden where all humanity became sinners. And there's this parallel to this, this historical act of Jesus, where on the cross, all who choose him have life. That's why it's so important that we understand Jesus died for our sins, but we don't worship a dead Savior. That's why over and over again, you'll hear me say, Jesus died for our sins, but was resurrected for our salvation. He's living. And why is that important? Because a dead Savior can't bring life. But a living Savior can. So Paul presents in verse 17 this, this brief overview. He says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
It, it, Paul says there's two dynasties, that, that of Adam and that of Jesus. And in the dynasty of Adam, death reigns. In the dynasty of Jesus, righteousness reigns. When, when death reigns, people are destroyed. When, when Christ reigns, people are given life and, and peace and, and power. Schaefer proclaims, he says it this way, he says, Paul's explanation of sin's origin is not just an academic exercise. It's a call to life. It's a call to live as the children of God, as the descendants of Jesus Christ. Then our passage concludes with these words, verses 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, what, what's Paul saying? Paul's saying those who are acquitted, those who have been justified, those who have been saved, that this brings about the preferred results where grace reigns and peace abounds. What were the results of the transgression of Adam and the righteous act of Jesus? In Adam, condemnation. What's condemnation? It's punishment. In Adam, there's punishment. Well, what is there in Jesus then? In Jesus, there's justification and freedom and life. Through Adam's sin, all people are condemned, but through Christ, all can be justified. Uh, think about it. Think about it. In Adam, many were made sinners, but in Christ, many are made righteous. Think of verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. At the time of Paul, the Jewish teachers had believed that the law had come to bring righteousness. Now, I'm not really sure how that was supposed to work, but, but somehow it was to bring righteousness. Now that's where legalism came in, because if the law brings righteousness, what do you have to do in order to become righteous? Yeah, keep all the law. The New Testament teaches what? But the law didn't come to bring righteousness. It comes to point to righteousness and our need for a righteous Savior. So the law is not bad. It's actually a gift from God. It's a gift of his grace. In fact, in Galatians 3.24, Paul writes, the law was our guardian and teacher to lead us until Christ came. So now through faith in Christ, we're made right with God. It pointed away. The law was necessary to get sin out in the open so that by God's grace it could be completely taken care of. Jesus took care of it on our behalf. And what is sanctification? Us becoming more and more and more like him. What's the effects of transgression and grace? In Adam, sin increased. In Christ, grace increases. As we walk with him, we know his love more and more and more. We understand his peace more and more and more. And sometimes, yes, it feels like we take five steps forward and, and, and three steps back. And it's sort of like this sometimes. But that's why we have to get back to the basics and say, no, 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 no. My God is faithful, even the faithful. He gives power to the weak. He tells the storm, stop, be calm, and it comes. He takes those that are lost and he finds them. And he rejoices through their finding. This is who our God is. Paul writes in verse 21, 
so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What, what again is the contrasting results of these two reigns? In, in Adam, death. In Christ's righteousness and life reign. It's amazing to me. But in this hinge chapter, where Paul's sort of drawing back to Romans 1 through 4, this teaching on justification, and, and beginning to walk us into 5 through 8 here, chapter 5, in the teachings in 6, 7, 8 on sanctification, he, he, he doesn't emphasize death. What does he do? He emphasizes life. Because if you're a believer, that's where we stand. Like we're no longer standing in death. We're standing in life and power and freedom. Now that you're in Jesus, now what? Know the peace of God and live as those who have the peace of God. I think it's so helpful for us to sort of wrap our mind and sort of to conclude what Paul's doing in chapter 5, to think about this question for a minute. When Paul looks at humanity, what does he see? Like, if Paul looks at humanity, how does he divide it up? To understand that, how do we divide it up? If we were to put a bunch of people into a football stadium, besides breaking every single uh, mandate right now in almost every single state, right? We would do that if we did that. But let's just go back uh, a year. If we packed a football stadium with people, how would we break up the people in there? We would say, well, there's, there's some New Yorkers, right? And there's some people from Pennsylvania. We would say, well... There's some, there's some Americans and there's some people from France would say, well, look over there. there there's some Anglos and there's some Hispanics. And, and so how do we as humans usually sort of designate people? We, we do it how? We do it by differences and similarities. By the way, dare I say that many problems in our society would be answered if we stopped doing it. That's what God does. God looks down on humanity and he sees one humanity divided up into only two groups. Those in Adam, who he desperately loves and wants to be in relationship with, and those in Christ, who he desperately loves and already has a relationship with. That's it. In fact, it's interesting when you think about Adam and Jesus and, and, and the similar path they took for a while. You say, Craig, what are you talking about? Stick with me for a minute. Adam, Adam and Jesus... They're both sinless for a while. Like Adam was, was said to be innocent. Innocent means to never be tested. He was, he was sinless. He, he hadn't committed any sin. Jesus hadn't committed any sin. Adam is human. Jesus is human. We, we learned that what, what happened. He takes upon his humanity upon his divinity. Jesus is 100% God and 100% why? Man. They're both tempted. Both of them are. That's where their halfway diverges a little bit. Adam sins and brings death. Jesus remains sinless. Is the only pure and righteous sacrifice on our behalf. He dies on our behalf and is resurrected to bring us life. The only thing that really matters from an eternal perspective is this. Do you find yourself this morning in Adam? Are in Christ. And if you're in Adam, here's the good news. God loves you. And is calling you to be in relationship with him through Jesus Christ. That's the good news. 
And even though we'll move past chapter 4, if you know me, we're going to hit that every week. That's the good news. Listen, if you're in Christ, don't be held down by the things that held you down when you were in Adam. Understand the love of God. Allow the Spirit to allow you to embrace the peace of God more and more. Don't just know intellectually, although it's so important we do, that we have peace with God. Walk in the peace that you have with God. The world desperately, desperately needs to know the God of love and peace. And the primary way that God has chosen for them to know it is through you and me. When you leave here, I pray you are in the midst of a pandemic. I pray that you're encouraged a week or more out from election. I hope you're encouraged, even in the uncertainties of our future. But there is a future glory awaiting us. For our, that even our sufferings produce character and hope because we know that it won't be forever. More than anything. That when we said yes to Jesus, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You may feel alone, but you're not. You have the power and love and peace of God. And by the way, a church family in the same boat, let's encourage each other. Come church. Let's be the church. God's love. So remarkable. So overwhelming. Let's pray and, and thank him for his love. Let's pray for a, a greater awareness of it. That we would be conduits of it. Oh, Father God, thank you so much for your profound love and peace that you place in us as we receive you as Lord and Savior. And I pray, Father God, if there's anyone here this morning who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, they would say after this message, after Paul's writing, that I'm, I'm in Adam, that, Lord God, they'd make the decision to receive you into their life, that they would move from death to life, Lord God, and receive your love and your peace. Not that you don't love all people equally and completely, but as we enter into relationship with you because of your spirit that indwells us and makes us more and more like Jesus, we can become more and more and more and more aware of your love and your peace. And that's meant to, to be a blessing to us. It certainly glorifies you, but it is meant to benefit others. And so as we've gathered here and as you've, as you've met with us in such a remarkable way, God, would you do a marvelous work in and through us as we leave this place and scatter throughout this region? But all would know, Lord God, of your love and your peace and have the opportunity to receive you. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your work in us. Thank you for this amazing book that you inspired Paul to write. As we continue to journey in it and learn what now, I pray, Lord, that we would just be encouraged, challenged, most of all, just rest in a greater and greater understanding so we can be conduits of those around us. We give you the praise in Jesus' name.